I never once thought that maybe because they lived in America that their belief systems were changing too. What are my values? What do I really want to do? Time isn't running out. My journey gives me a different perspective on life. Everyone is like that. I kind of feel a little more fearless in chasing music all the way. I want you to learn that there's a difference between speaking poorly about your parents and speaking clearly about things that are affecting you. The fulfillment is not going to come without hard work. You know in your heart kind of who you are. It's the right choice. It's 100% the right choice. When you're they see like those questions. Hey, she's 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 study in There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe. This is the Desi Condition. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Desi Condition. My name is Danushree and I am joined here today by fellow Desi Condition teammate Karthik. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thanks, Danushree, for having me on. Yeah, fi- I'm like, finally, you're on the show. This is so fun. I know. I'm super excited. <laughs> um, Karthik is our writer, and we are taking a small break from our relationship segment to talk about civic engagement. There is a lot going on. The election is coming up, the census is coming to a close, and this is legitimately a scary time. Um, so we are taking this episode to talk about all of that and relate why it's not just important for society, but for ourselves and our own mental health to become civically engaged. So Karthik, uh, we can start with your experience since you came to me with this idea and I loved it. Um, What's your role with civic engagement looked like so far? How did you first start getting involved in it? Yeah, I think so. um, I grew up pretty connected to my South Asian identity, to my Hindu identity. And then I went off to college. And I think that that's where I really started to kind of understand what my role as a South Asian was within the broader context of the United States, being a citizen. What does it mean to be a South Asian American? How do I contribute to society effectively? Mm. Um, On campus, we had an organization that was focused around uniting all of the South Asian Americans on campus and trying to understand what issues the community goes through, how we can advocate for those issues, and um, kind of having teach-ins where we would kind of explain some of the issues like family issues or immigrants, immigration status or... um, LGBTQ in the South Asian community or mental health and having those kind of experiences, those shared experiences and talking through them. So participating in that really got me engaged in advocacy related work around the South Asian community. And um, when I left college, I really wanted to continue that work. And I found an organization that I currently work for, volunteer with called SAPRI which stands for the South Asian American Policy and Research Institute. And they are really responsible for conducting research, conducting activism and um, engagement of the South Asian community in the Chicago area, but also in the United States around broad policy issues and connecting the experiences that South Asians and South Asian Americans have with broader um, civic issues that are going on in our society. Mm-hmm. So how did you start to realize 
what ideals were important to me to you or what kind of political affiliations were important to you? Yeah, I think so. I feel like a lot of our initial thoughts on that are shaped by society and our parents. So I think I started off with having those ideas, those issues that I should be concerned with or the political affiliations I should have being molded by what my parents were doing, what our community group was doing, what our um, Hindu temple was doing. And then when I started to branch off and become my own adult, let's say, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, was really when um, I was able to kind of form issues or think about issues on my own that I cared about. So part of the work that I did with um, the our South Asian group on campus was really trying to connect issues that weren't really discussed in the South Asian community and really bring them to the forefront of the conversation. We weren't really talking about mental health in the South Asian community, how mm-hmm. um, h- half of my friends who are South Asian were pre-med and doing some of the hardest courses on campus, yet... Um, we're just living with that stress and kind of normalizing it and not really accepting that there are kind of stretches to your mental health that you need to deal with. And it's okay to not be okay. Um, so having that conversation, having the conversation around um, LGBTQ, being LGBTQ within the South Asian community, especially if your parents are more conservative or the community itself is more conservative and how you how do you kind of deal with that? was something that we wanted to also discuss as well. So these are not only social issues, but generally connected to the conversation that our entire country was having politically um, around this was the this was the time that gay marriage was legalized by the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. or this was the time that Obamacare was installed and really in effect. So it kind of connected to all of these broader conversations that you could have. And I think connecting it back to what America was going through and what you personally were going through, I think was super important. It's interesting. You talk about these ideals developing kind of at the cusp of adulthood. And I do think that becoming civically engaged or politically active or engaged in some way that does have a big role in your identity Um, It does contribute to your own sense of self. I think just knowing who you are, like who you are and what matters to you, that does help you to know yourself, right? And then, of course, that's going to have long-term or short-term effects on your mental health in a positive way. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's part of the stage of developing your own identity, right? Like you start off, your identity is shaped largely by the forces around you. And then as you go have your own experiences, those experiences are really um, shaping what's the level of importance some of these issues have or some of these ideas have to you. And also determining how you want to kind of represent those ideals, affiliations, et cetera, within your own life and how involved you want to be. And I think that's part of what you're determining as an adult as well. Yeah, and it also means you're surrounded by people who are who identify with this the same things that you identify with. I mean, that's really important, right? So you get to I think like the best side effect of this is just making new friends. Yeah, or like finding people that care about the same things as you and 
Um, I think some of the great things college allowed me to do was find people from other parts of the country and kind of relate my experience to their experiences and kind of form common bonds and through the issues that we cared about or the stuff that we wanted to champion. So what does civic engagement look like for you these days? Yeah, so civic engagement for me is mainly done through volunteer work and Mm -hmm. through having community conversations. So I've had the chance to um, do a lot of census-related work. So through SOPRI, which is the organization I mentioned before, I was able to um, go to college campuses and talk to South Asian college students about the importance of the census, why they need to fill it out, Mm -hmm. um, and how it can affect funding for their public public schools or education initiatives that they're doing on campus. So, or speaking with seniors about how the census impacts their healthcare and um, services that they use on a regular basis. So having those conversations and really connecting this important way to participate to something that they're using every day or they, that they care about was an important part of the conversation for me. I think the other part of it was trying to really um, understand the community and make sure that we can get as much participation as possible, not just in the census participation, but also getting as many South Asians to vote as possible. So um, running digital media, making sure that I'm open to having conversations with everybody around me or whoever wants to have a conversation around why should I register to vote? Illinois is always a blue state. It doesn't matter. Mm. What, um, it, my vote doesn't matter. And I think boiling it down to um, why your vote matters, even when it seems like your vote is inconsequential, um, I think is an important part of the conversation. The other part of it is um, dispelling common myths and biases that people have about Um, ways to civically engage. I feel like the most dramatic ways that you see people engaging civically are through protests, Mm -hmm. um, the um, riots that you saw after George Floyd, things like that. Um, But that's not necessarily the only way that you can participate. Um, Writing letters, calling your congressman, doing all of these different activities, whatever you can and are able to do, I think it's really important to kind of figure out what what's within your bandwidth and how you want to engage with your local government or just with your local institutions. Yeah, I think you're right that protesting, I think, is seen as the image of civic engagement, although there are a lot of other ways to get involved. And I've been to protests, but I don't I don't know. Personally, I don't always like that method, that method, because I don't always feel comfortable around people, whether it's pre pandemic or during the pandemic. I don't even go to Costco because I like I don't like crowds like it's just a lot for me. Um, And so I I just start to literally feel physically uncomfortable. And so Um, But there's a lot of other things I can do, right? It doesn't mean I don't care or I'm not trying. I'm still doing things. I'm still reaching out to local politicians. Calling politicians is the easiest thing to do, and it is so effective. Um, Signing petitions or uh, if you can donate, donate to causes or campaigns that you care for. Yeah, I think what it boils down to is civic engagement is just having your voice heard, Mm -hmm. right? So whatever means you're able to do it in and whatever 
ways that you feel comfortable doing that in, I think is um, how you can apply civic engagement to your own life. Yeah. And also starting to engage in local elections, I think is really, really important because change really does start at a small level. Um, and every four years I go to the polls to, for the presidential election, that's fine. It's always really, really crowded, but then during primary elections or local primary elections, oh my God, there's like never a line. And it's like, it's good that there's no line because I kind of want to get in and out, but it's also really bad <laughs> that there's there's nobody there. Nobody votes in these elections. It's really bad. We had an election over the summer in New York City and like, I don't think anybody knew about it. I think like me and my mom voted pretty much and that was it. Yeah. Um, one of my friends told me that... Um, America actually has the most opportunities for people to vote. So you actually have the most chances in the United States to vote, not just for like president every four years, but also mm -hmm. your congressman, local elections, judges. Oh, you mean in terms of how often there are elections and how many things exactly. you can vote for? Right. Okay. okay. Yeah, primaries. Like there's so many different right. um things that you can actually ha have the chance to go vote for, um, which is unique to the United States and isn't really, um, isn't seen in the quantity um, in any other country around the world. So um, I think that's something to be proud that. of and something to really take part in. Sorry to cut you off. What did you say? No, I was just saying, I, I, I never knew that. I've, I've never heard that before, but now that I think on it, yeah, that makes that, that checks out to me. And then going back to your initial point about um, like local elections and participating in those, I think that's what I try to tell people who are especially um, discouraged that their vote doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, just because the state that you are voting in regularly goes to one political party or another for president doesn't mean that the, the ballot that you cast for your state senate or state representatives for your congressman or woman, for your um, local elections, for your um, city council person, for the local judges, um, isn't going to be important and impact your daily life. And I think that's the really important thing to stress here is that mm. each levels of government will impact your life in a certain way. And I think it's important that people understand that it's not just the flashy news absorbing presidential election that's going to matter here um but also the state and local elections of where you live are going to matter as well and i think participating in those is going to be really important for everybody yeah it really does matter you mentioned before you were talking about uh why filling out the census is so important and you touched on a couple of the points on why it's important could you give us like an overview on why we really need to be filling out the census and also that that date is coming up soon. Yeah, so um, that date is coming up. So initially the census was going to end at the end of September. Mm -hmm. There's a court order that has been stayed. Um, so it's looking like the end of October is kind of when the census is going to end. Mm -hmm. um, there's kind of um, uncertainty around the end date. But um, why it is important is because the census is run every 10 years to do a, a complete count of the population. And that count and the data that's collected through the census helps inform the political, the uh, 
number of congressmen that can be sent at a federal level from each state. So um, after the census is conducted, the states will redraw, um, or as it's known, gerrymander different districts based on the number of representatives that they're going to send to the federal Congress um, for the next decade. And so participating in the census, making sure that you are counted, is going to impact the number of representatives that your state is going to send to the federal government. In addition, the census also determines the resources that each of the states get, depending on population. So um, having a complete count of the census and making sure that you are participating in it will ensure that your state receives funding for the next 10 years from the federal government. The state governments also use the census data to um, determine their districts and kind of their allocation of funding as well. And that data is also immensely helpful to a lot of research organizations, community-based organizations to really help them inform how the communities have changed over the past 10 years and how they can continue to support communities around them. So in terms of the importance of this data of the census, it's immensely important not just to having you be adequately represented in all levels of government, but also helping inform what the community is looking like to a lot of organizations so that they can do research around the issues that you care about and making sure that we can highlight how resources should be allocated so that um, communities can be taken care of. Yeah, so obviously the census is really important. Thanks for that overview on it. And that deadline is coming up really soon, so we definitely want to fill that out. What do you think about, what are some of the barriers that people face when it comes to filling out the census or being able to vote? Yeah, I think um, the lack of concrete information and biases related to both of these processes can, can impact your decision to fill out the census or to go vote. And I'll start with the census as the, as an example. So, um, as I stated before, the census is a complete count of the population. It's not a complete count of citizens in the United States. So one of the biggest misconceptions that um, we've faced in educating the South Asian community is that it's not just South Asian Americans or South Asian American citizens that need to be filling out the census. It's everybody that's South Asian that's living in the United States. So even if you're on an education visa, even if you're on a um H-1B or a working visa, you, you can still fill out the census because you are living in the United States and using the services that the census funds. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction and something that's often missed in um, a lot of South, South Asian understanding of what the census is and w- whether they should fill it out or not. The other part of it is language access. So um, there are many communities that are South Asian in the, in the United States that don't have a good command of English um, and providing resources. The census actually provides resources in South Asian languages. It does not provide the census itself in South Asian languages yet. But um, just having adequate language access to the census and helping people understand why the census is important and addressing those common misconceptions in the, in the language that they speak, I think is really important. Um, 
and something that has been a barrier to educating people on the census. In -hmm. terms of registering to vote, I think um, one of the common challenges that we see is that, especially among younger people, um, they are so much more transient. And since voting is done at state level and each state kind of determines how the polls should be run, um, you see big discrepancies across state lines on how voting is conducted. So um, I've lived in New York before um, and I've moved to Illinois and it's the voting process is kind of different between the two states, depending on how the ballot is structured, what's on the ballot, how do you kind of read through it? How do you answer the, um, how do you fill it out? Is it electronic or in paper? Um, So Mm. kind of addressing those um, differences, sometimes though that throws people the wrong way. I think COVID-19 has impacted both the census and voting this year. And so making sure that people know about the options that, of how they can either fill out the census online or via the phone or how they can vote by mail, I think is really important to kind of um, addressing those barriers and making sure people can still participate fully, even though they may be under quarantine or um, may not want to venture outside to actually fill out the census in person or mm-hmm. vote in person. Yeah. And it's so easy to fill it out online. It takes like, it took like five minutes when I did it and you do it for everybody in your house. Exactly right. And yeah, so the census is actually, I believe only 10 questions. I'll have to ch- check the number of questions, but it's, it takes five minutes. There are so many different ways you can do it too. So you can do it online. A census worker can come in, you can do it in person. You can fill it, fill it out over the phone. So um, they make it really accessible. I think the challenge is just getting people to understand why they need to fill it out and addressing some of those common um, misconceptions to making sure that people understand um, whether they're eligible to fill it out or not. I have a question for you. Do you find that South Asians in general just kind of are resistant to getting politically involved? I think it can be a mix. Um, I've, uh, what I find really interesting is that, especially among um, South Asians that have just immigrated to the United States and received their citizenship, um, or that group of people is really actually much less inclined to be involved in American politics, even though they're citizens, but rather still tied to the politics of their home country. But their children who are born in the United States are much more politically involved in the United, in U.S. politics. So um, I think it's it depends on kind of um, what, how long you've lived in the United States, whether you were born here or not. But generally, I find that um, either for young voters, there's this general um, dissatisfaction with the current political system that, or just the political candidates that are available um, at each level of government. Because if you think about it, most of the policies and kind of the platforms of the two political parties really don't address younger voters. They're much more inclined toward older voters and um, aren't really tied in with South Asian issues as well, even though we do have a South Asian candidate running for vice president. Mm. The other part of it is that, like, even though we have a South Asian candidate on a major party ticket, mm-hmm. that ha- that hasn't really inspired 
it has inspired some kind of level of affinity and support, but at the same time, the candidate herself, Kamala Harris, has really kind of focused more on her African-American or Black identity versus really um, connecting with South Asian voters because the South Asian voting voting block is not as big as um, the Black voting block. And I think it's important to kind of understand the politics at play of mm-hmm. like a major party race. Um, and I think that can rub people the wrong way as well. Like if you, like, if you think about it, um, I always go back to those howdy Modi rallies that were held <laughs> in Texas and in New York. Those saw such fervent participation compared to if Kamala Harris and Joe Biden had a rally, like I don't think you would see that level of participation. And I think that goes to, um, this affinity toward um, politics in South Asia versus politics in the United States, where we don't feel as represented as we do in the politics in South Asia. That's really interesting. I think it can be really hard to care about politics in general, especially when you're where we have this major uh, election coming up and people are really, really divided on the candidates. And even, even I, I feel like, I guess what we would call the liberals would are very divided on, um, Biden and Harris as a viable option, because there are reasons to critique these people. Fine. And I am like mortally afraid that the Democratic Party is not going to win this election because we have so much division. Yeah, and I think the two-party system doesn't lend itself well to the spectrum of ideas that now politics now deals with, right? Because politics touches on everything. Every single part of your life is somehow related to um, whether, like this question of whether the government should be a part of it or not, right? So. Um, I think given the range of issues that we're now dealing with and kind of the place where everybody lands is so different that four people representing two major parties can't really cover that much ground. And that leaves so many people in the middle of like, I think I'm closely aligned with this. I think I'm not as aligned with this. For example, like when there were, like 18 candidates running for um, the Democratic Party ticket. Oh my God, yeah, what a mess. I remember the New York Times had this like kind of calculator of like, hey, how do you kind of feel about each issue? And therefore, this is the candidate that closely resembles like your kind of feeling about each issue. And like having that type of calculator, I think it's nice when you have 18 different people and like a spectrum of where they fall along the spectrum. But if you only have one person like, and they have their solid stance, like that's hard to relate with. And that also creates like this anxiety of like, Hey, I don't totally agree with them, but like, I need to cast a vote for like four, like between these two parties. Or if you're considering the other parties, like these five or six parties, I don't know like how to, to kind of match myself and like what I care about with what closely align, like which candidates closely align to my views. And I think that's the challenge that a lot of people face before going to vote as well, is that like, there's so many things on the ballot. And so you need to go in, it feels like you need to go in with like 
having done like hours and hours of research on like where you where you fall and understanding where all these candidates fall so you can pick the right choice for each one. Yeah, I wish we lived in a world where we did we were able to vote our morals and not be concerned with the math of the election. Um really boiling down to whether one of two parties wins. It can be hard, I think, to try to be civically engaged or politically engaged or whatever you want to call it um, when it feels like, for some people, I know a lot of people feel this way, they, they, they feel like they have to vote against their morals in order to, I mean, nobody wants to have to pig the less of two evils. It's not the world that we want, right? So I think for some people, it can be easier to just avoid politics altogether in a way because of just what is um, going on and the lack of options. Yeah. And I think if you look at places like the UK, for example, right, like they have dominant parties, but they also have a myriad of um, different parties that can closely align with views based on what issues you care about and where you stand. So like you can have a center left party and a far left party and like a center right and a far right and all of these different types where um, instead of like, for example, like it's hard to imagine a party. I'll take the democratic party as an example where progressive um, I'm thinking of like progressive Democrats, like AOC are in the same party as very centrist, very kind of down the middle politicians like Joe Biden. So um, because they're like looking at their views, right. And like the platforms that they've ran on and stand on, they, there's such a divergence between the two and, and it's hard to kind of see them under this one monolith. But if we had a myriad of parties that kind of supported each of these different stances, I think that would closely align with voter interest, but at the same time, right. The reason that we have two parties is that they allow for a concentration of resources to help support candidates at various levels from local elections all the way to the presidential one. Can you talk more about that, about where this two-party system came from? Yeah, I think so. the two-party system, if I recall my U.S. history lesson properly, Mm -hmm. um, the two-party system is as early as... America's, like when the Constitution was ratified and when America, the United States of America as we know it, was founded. Um, And it came out of the differing opinions around um, the role of government, right? Whether government should take a um, very involved role in the lives of its citizens or should it take a more laid back role and allow for um, greater freedoms and more championing of the smaller independent business or farmer. And I think the split, um, if you know Hamilton the musical, Hamilton was firmly in kind of government should kind of oversee everything. Um, It should run like banking for the United States. Like it should be the center and should regulate more, um, whereas Thomas Jefferson was on the other side and really believed in um, kind of a lazy, fair government. So having that split, I think, led to, um, around the central question, um, led to the development of the two political parties that we see 
there have been parties that have come and gone over the years. Parties have switched kind of who their supporters are. But in general, you've kind of seen this two-party system throughout American history. The questions that they've taken on have ranged from slavery to um, civil rights to um, whether the United States should, the federal government should tax their citizens and how should the federal government re like regulate monetary policy. So the questions have been really diverse, but generally that's where the two-party system comes from. And I think since it's been such an integral part of the American American history and our federal government, um, it has just become accepted as kind of the norm of American politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So how can we bring up the question of civic engagement with our friends and family? How do we get people in our lives more involved? Yeah, I think part of it is demonstrating how many diverse actions you can take that count as, that fall under the umbrella of civic engagement, right? Like it's not just posting a photo at a protest, but really letting people know that, hey, I just wrote letters as part of um, this organization that connects with potential voters and makes sure that they are registered and are ready to vote for election day or something like that. It, that allows for a small way that is compatible with kind of what you can handle um, but allows you to participate in helping your community or your even your immediate family know about the important um, ways that they should be civically engaging, whether it's filling out the census because the census matters for these reasons or registering to vote because this election matters for these reasons. And I think what I always tell people is make sure to highlight the why um, behind any of these civic engagement actions, right? Um, a lot of people, the major disconnect I see is that people see these actions, but people don't see the why mm -hmm. around the impact of these actions on their daily lives. So I think that's the biggest thing that we, um, I've learned, but also um, my fellow volunteers at SOPRI have learned is that really connecting the impacts that these actions can have on your daily life to the action itself is an important step in helping people and convincing them to take part in simple things like filling out the census, voting, or if they want to even be involved further, encouraging other people in their networks to do so. Yeah, I think this is a, such a taboo topic, right? People are always like, I don't want to talk politics. Um, politics is so right. dividing. I don't want to do that, especially with my family and stuff. How do we, how do we overcome that? I think uh, part of it is normalizing this idea that um, it's not about the division, like the divisive nature, right? There's an essential idea that whatever your ideals and issues. The more people that vote, the better it is for America. The more people that fill out the census, the better it is for you and your community. And I think going back to those initial ideas and principles, I think is going to be really important. We can argue about the issues or where we stand on the issues anytime for hours. But in reality, the whole process benefits from the more people that participate in it. And I think that's what we want to stress in any of our conversations, that regardless of how we may butt heads on this certain issue, it's really important that 
you exercise your right and responsibility as an American citizen to vote um, in election day and to fill out the census so that you can be represented properly, which I think everybody wants. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think um, it's hard to look past this like stigmatization of um, civic engagement, but I don't think, I don't, I personally, I don't think we've ever lived in a time where we shouldn't, you know, try to bring these things up casually. Um, but especially now, things have been very much at a boiling point. Yeah, I think it's such an emotionally charged time. And I think if we think about it from a mental health perspective too, right? Like these topics, especially like when there were all those protests about the death of George Floyd, um, having conversations with your family about race, racial justice, um, Black Lives Matter became a really important point that was made across social media. And like having those conversations can be incredibly stressful because you're talking about very challenging notions that people have held for their whole lives and understanding that privilege is connected to everything that you have can be a very daunting task for many people. Yeah. So I think it's important to really kind of break those conversations down into simple steps that people can take and simple messages that they can understand and I think that works for civic engagement, too, to make sure that you're not um, every time you talk about participating civically, you're not having a full blown argument, but you're really kind of just encouraging people to exercise their voice and make their voice heard. Yeah, the George Floyd situation when the when the Black Lives Matter protests started breaking out, that was. That felt, I don't know if you agree, that felt unnecessarily politicized, too. And I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that goes back to the, my point earlier that everything in a certain dimension is political, right? Hmm, that's, okay, interesting. Yeah, I think I agree with that, but I think I need to hear more about that. Yeah, I think it's because politics touches on every part of our lives, values, things that we care about. And it is influenced by how people see the world and what they want to change about it. And I think that resonates with a lot of people and their understanding of their whole world and what they care about and what they want to change about it. So I think in anything that happens, any event that happens, there's going to be this idea that, hey, this connects to something political, whether it's police reform or police abolition or understanding just how critical race theory applies. And you saw that like just the idea of having diversity trainings was taken away at the federal, federal government level, like just having diversity trainings, which is something that you see at almost every large company or employer became something political, right? That's something that the two parties that, had a different view on. So um, since every action somehow connects back to these ideologies, I think everything has in some way become politicized or become political. Yeah. You mentioned something before. You said that regardless of how people swing, right, it's 
important that everybody gets involved because it benefits the system overall. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, because I mean, so like if we get 100% participation in the census, for example, Mm -hmm. that means that the United States government will have an understanding of what the community map looks like across the entire United States. And that is incredibly valuable, not from like a data like perspective, but in an application of that information to serve you, the community, right? It allows for adequate representation at levels of government. It allows for adequate allocation of resources so that you are getting what you're getting the resources that your community needs and deserves. Um, And at the same time, it also allows for like, there's so many little things that you don't understand that are impacted by the census. For example, like what's stocked in your grocery shelves is in some way impacted by the census because grocery stores use census data to inform what food they need to be putting on their shelves. So even little things that you didn't think um, were affected by it are affected by this information. And at the same time, if you think about it from a registering to vote perspective, this 2016 election had one of the lowest turnouts for um, younger voters. Mm. Um, and now mm-hmm. Gen Z is apparently the largest voting block. I'm not, or millennials, I'm not really sure um, how that breakdown goes, but younger voters are now the largest voting block. And having everybody participate, especially um, our younger voters, will allow us to see truly what their, have their voice heard and see, hey, I'm in support of this candidate. I believe they are the future change that America needs. Or, um, I am not in support of this candidate. I want to see a different vision for the country that I live in. And I think having that full participation or as much as close to it as we can, I think is really important in helping the future of the country on both from both things, from the census and from voting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also um, getting more South Asians out there and voting. Yeah. Yeah. So the actually in Illinois, we found that through census data, the South Asian community grew 55% between 2000 and 2010. So like in 2021, we'll learn more about how it's grown in the next, in the next 10 years, but they're one of the fastest growing communities in the United States. And so having our voice heard, especially since we're growing so quickly, will help address the issues that we care about, like healthcare, access to services, education, um, immigration reform, things like that, that I know South Asians are interested in, but also issues that we don't talk about a lot that need to be addressed, like mental health, can also be included in that mix. And our representatives can be knowledgeable about what our community needs are so that they can serve them more appropriately. Yeah, I mean, yeah, politics affects literally every part of our lives, whether or not you realize it. So... Uh, if you want to be counted, if you want a better life long term, you have to be involved in at least the small ways. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I have run out of things to ask you, but what are some closing thoughts or advice that you have for 
young South Asians or South Asians who are only just starting to get um, or consider getting politically or civically involved? Yeah, I think my takeaways are that it's there's so many different ways you can do it that you should find a way that works best for you. Yeah. Um, and start having these conversations with everybody around you, with your um, parents and extended family, with your coworkers, with your friends, um, with your religious organizations. I think it's really important to get to normalize these conversations and understand how you can participate and then fill out the census and register to vote. Yeah. And I would also add that don't let, don't let other people's expectations of how you should be engaged filter into your Mm -hmm. mind. I think you should do it on your terms. Like I said before, I don't really go to protests because I just like, I don't like, I don't even like to be in Costco. Like, why would I go to a protest? Um, But Mm -hmm. also nobody knows how many phone calls I'm making or how how much I'm donating to various causes or um, emails that I'm sending. Like, nobody knows what I'm doing just because I'm not showing up at protests. It doesn't mean that I don't care. And so, you know, I wouldn't, I would try to care in the way that you know how to care because that's really going to be the best thing for you and your mental health and in your relationship with uh, your government, um, whether you're talking locally or at a larger scale, um, and your relationship with your community too. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think we're so focused on visibility. Mm-hmm. So um, am I sharing this on Instagram or am I posting photos of this thing that I'm doing? When in reality, I think just taking the action is super important, regardless Mm -hmm. of how visible it is. So make sure you're thinking about um, your comfort level and what you're comfortable with, because I think that'll inform how you participate and how you engage. And it's up to you and kind of what actions you're comfortable with taking. But just take an action, whether it's as simple as just filling out the census and registering to vote. Yeah. It doesn't have to be more complex than that. It, yeah, it, it doesn't. Um, it ultimately just has to be something that is sustainable for you because you don't want to burn out and then just completely drop off. That would be bad. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I have deeply enjoyed this conversation. I am really glad that we got to record this episode I hope that people listening to this are now more motivated to be more involved or to try to get other people to be more involved, you know, no matter what their political leanings are. Um, And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for being on the show, Karthik. Tanishree, thank you so much. Um, I've loved being part of the Lisa Condition team, and I'm excited that I can share and talk through this idea of civic engagement and how we can... Um, learning more about it with you and sharing that information with our audience as well. I was just like so excited when you came to me with this idea. It was like, this is great. Like this is actually like really good timing. Um, This is something that we're all thinking about, but not really talking about. And also I like personally have kept, made it a point to not talk politics at all on the podcast mostly because I didn't really know how to and because of all these stigmas around it. But I'm really happy with how this has this conversation has turned out. Um, and I'm really excited for people to hear this. Great. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. For sure. Excited to have you back for future episodes. Yeah, I can't wait.
Okay, so that is the end of our episode. If you have any thoughts or if you would like to reach out, you can reach out at thedesicondition at gmail.com. You can also find us at Instagram and Facebook at the Desi Condition or on Twitter at TDC podcast underscore. I always run out of breath at the end of that sentence. Um, <laughs> if you are listening on a platform on which you can leave ratings and reviews such as Apple Podcasts, please do so and share this podcast with all your friends so that we can live and thrive and continue trying to spread the good word on civic engagement and other mental health issues.